You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Everyone, welcome to Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. It is the 20th of August, 2015, and I told you all, summer's almost gone, and now it actually is almost gone. Told you it was going to happen. Get out there and enjoy it while you can. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, joined by Dave Davies by Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And a quick warning to listeners, we're also joined... And they're live online. They might just jump in anytime. By Cindy Crum and Emily Grossman from Mobile Moxie. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to be talking about the mobile universe and mobile getting and mobile everything. But before we get to that, Dave, it's been a hell of a week. <laughs> it has. It has. It's been, uh, you know, last week it was uh, a little, definitely a lot quieter. I was going to say a little quieter. No, a lot quieter. And it hit the fan this week. So let's jump right in. And you know what? Awesome timing to have a couple extra people to keep up the discussion on some of the issues we're going to be covering uh, here in the news segment. Well, yeah, this is kind of a weightier one. I'd like to start by saying I've never known an Ashley or a Madison, much less slept with either. (laughs) So I'm Claire. You all good? (laughs) I'm good. Uh, Ladies, you're both okay? Yeah, I think I'm totally in the clear on this one. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Okay, so somebody, we have no idea whom kind of stole the membership list from Ashley Madison. Now, we knew this like a couple months ago. Avid Life Media, Ashley Madison's owner, came right out and said, our entire membership list got lifted. And I guess, you know, a couple months ago, Avid Life pretty much warned its users, you're going to get doxxed, you're going to get outed, because the hackers had warned Avid Life that they were going to dox and out their entire list. And sure enough, yesterday they did. It's been pretty wild, like people going back and forth on how they feel about the morality of the issue, you know, on one side avidly looking for who might be on that list and on the other being terrified about, you know, the future of the security of personal data. You know, the idea of just relationships getting smashed because of participation in a cloud-based community, regardless of what this cloud-based community was doing, the absurdity of the Duggars. What a weird story, eh? It is. And you know what? I think everybody who works on the internet is going to end up being a little bit torn on the issue. I think everybody is. It's kind of like you have to view it and go, if this, then what's next? Well, indeed. How you far, ever, ever how file your okay? taxes? You ever file your taxes online? Right. Right. And that's a great call. So is that okay? Is that the next step? So I think that's the sort of duality that we all face. Is this like, if it had to happen to somebody as a company hey, I'm okay with who got hit. If it had to happen to somebody as a company, you know, let's take the collateral, like the human damage out of the collateral damage and go, okay, as it's shut down, I'm okay with that. But on the other side of it, it's like, okay, how far is okay? What issues can you actually cover? And I can babble on, but I don't think I I have no idea why this was done, okay? I mean, like, maybe it's somebody whose partner cheated on them and they got a problem with cheaters, but... Well, uh, one of the the things we have to... One of the things to remember here is the hacking group that did it actually gave an out to the individual, well, not to the individuals, but had basically gone to Ashley Madison and said, if you pull your site down, we're not going to do this. 
Okay, so if you pull your multi-million dollar website down, we're not going to dox everybody on your list. Well, exactly. Now, at the same time, though, you know, who's going to use them anyway now, right? Like, so, well, and so also, that's kind of a kind of where, you know, just at its core, just as a business person, you got to be like, come on, guys. like your company was going to be destroyed anyway. Why are you taking a bunch of your clients down with you? But at the same time, can a hacker group just sort of show up and shut down businesses at will? Can they shut down Amazon at will? Can they shut another cloud business just by being there? I think somebody was going to jump in. Was it? Yeah, well, sorry. well, I have kind of a different question than what Jim's asking. And I'm wondering, has anyone started talking about all of the lawsuits that, that can come out of this? Like there's obviously oh. a class action lawsuit against Ashley Madison for not having good enough security. But then what else can come of that, right? And what doors does that open, Cindy? I mean, the U.S. government lost uh, 61 million identities um, just a few months ago. Well, right, but this to me seems similar to the any of the credit card scandals like with Target and stuff like that. If they can lose credit card numbers, this is equally sensitive data, Absolutely. I would say, or some would argue, a participation in a private social network of sorts. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's try to take morality out of the conversation. What, what the people are doing on that website, good, bad, evil, whatever, I don't know. I don't know if it's up to us to judge, but the repercussions of this are going to be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Who does this benefit? You know, like uh, maybe middlemen companies like PayPal that put Lawyers. an added layer of security or maybe it screws them. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm going to – Cindy brought up a great point actually. I think one of the winners here is going to be lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think they're probably going to do okay out of it. And in the actual release itself by the hacking group, they actually called that out in one of their last well, paragraphs. I can't remember how they worded it, but kind of like, put your blame here, not on us, put your blame here and, uh, and you know, sue them. And Dave, it's lots of different kinds of lawyers. It's the corporate lawyers as well as the divorce lawyers. <laughs> well, and that's something that's got to get mentioned. Careers are going to get ruined here. Marriages hey, are going to hey. get ruined here. Uh, people's lives have been destroyed by this. Yeah, it's sad. Well, it's sad, I suppose. Again, trying to step outside of moral judgments, you know, like they did put themselves in an arena where they knew they knew society would frown on those actions. But, you know, like one in six adults in Ottawa, Ontario are on that list. Um, I don't know if I can judge the morality of like, you know, 18 percent of a population. You're bringing up something I don't think anybody can really comment on there without offending an entire city of human beings. <laughs> that said, Canada's in an election. I am hoping there's a lot of conservative cabinet ministers on that list. <laughs> so hoping. Of course, that leaves the door open for a bunch of like my party's people to be on that list, too, which kind of scares the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we should probably move along. Although, apparently three minutes ago, TMZ published a, uh, this goes to the absurd, too, the Duggar family got involved because Josh Duggar, of all people, <laughs> who'd have guessed it, he too has an Ashley Madison profile. Brasco, you said that there was a breaking news from TMZ? Yeah, they pushed out a statement that Josh Duggar just gave, and he says, quote, I have been the biggest hypocrite ever. While espousing faith and family values, I have secretly, over the last several years, been being born on the Internet, and this became a secret addiction. I'm so ashamed of the double life I've been living. Grief for the hurt and pain and disgrace my sin has caused my wife and family, and most of all, Jesus, and all those who profess faith in him. Yeah. Well, notice he doesn't admit to what's actually gone on. He admits to viewing porn, which is not what Ashley Madison is, right? Like, it's for offline behavior. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Like, I have a hard time taking the Duggars terribly seriously to begin with. I do hope that Jesus is okay with all that porn that he saw through Josh's eyes. The reality stars is the same people that brought us the, the mother that raised Honey Boo Boo, okay? <laughs> what kind of morality do they have, honestly? By the way, folks, that's hopefully the last time you'll ever hear breaking news from TMZ here on Technology. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you know what? Other stuff happened this week beyond the Ashley Madison leak, but we couldn't ignore that story because the ramifications are going to be amazing. Now, I do believe that will change the web we work on. It'll change people's behavior. And if it doesn't, then Facebook has won. So there you are, minding your own business, looking at client accounts and search console when you notice that sitemaps reports that a whole bunch of pages are missing. Don't you hate it when that happens, Dave? <laughs> yeah. Pages are, I mean, I can say I hate that or it grips at my very soul. 
<laughs> as you know panic what? ensues and I wait for the phone call before, fortunately, I think everybody on the line right now and hopefully a lot of our listeners have enough experience to go, okay, the pan- you can't help but panic. And then history kicks in and, and you remember that you need to sometimes double check things and make sure there's actually a problem. And if you had at 6.17 a.m., you'd have seen a tweet from Gary Ellis at Google reading, we have good news and bad news. Never sure when Google says we have good news and bad news. <laughs> Two, the bad news. We might have a problem with reporting the number of indexed URLs in the Search Console sitemap feature. Good news, we're looking into it. So that's good. Google's looking into it. The good news, friends, is what you're seeing in Search Console, if they've lost a whole bunch of webs, uh, a whole bunch of pages from your client's sites or your own sites, Possibly they haven't. Don't sweat it. This is one not to worry about for a couple of days until Google reports back that either they fixed it or the bug is this or that your pages sucked. Whatever happens. And just jumping in here from a mobile perspective, we tend to believe we know what's going on here. They've been monkeying around with how they're taking in pages and app screens. And I think that's probably what's gone on is there was a bug introduced in that process because now that they're using Search Console to index deep links and index app screens, obviously that's complicated. Oh, well, so you it's your that- fault. Sorry. <laughs> it's Gary's fault. <laughs> that actually brings us to a part of the conversation I was kind of hoping to have you know, a little bit later, but why not jump into it now? Cindy, a while ago, Google said that they were going to have separate indexes for mobile and desktop search, or at least that the results might be pulled from the same index, but they would have separate filters. And then that second thing they said, and the third thing they most recently said is, "Eh, it's all the same thing. What's what? Well, so the deal is, originally, years ago, they had separate indexes for mobile. Then they introduced the smartphone crawler, which had a different user agent. And then last year, in 2014, they said, listen, this mobile user agent is just going to be for feature phone crawling. We're using the desktop user agent for desktop and smartphone crawling. So there's not really a separate mobile index anymore. And there's not even a separate mobile crawler, per se, if we're talking about smartphone sites. So it's all Googlebot that's doing it. Googlebot Mobile, just for feature phones now. Okay, now what's the difference between a smartphone and a feature phone? So feature phone gives you usually like a text-only web experience, whereas a smartphone does try to render both mobile-friendly and desktop sites. Okay. So a feature phone would be like a flip phone or something. Yeah, flip phone. See, and I didn't even jump so much on mobile. I just had to throw that in there with the search console conversation. Well, no, no, it's important because, again, I'm glad you mentioned it because Google hasn't been terribly, what's the right word, forthcoming on advising, you know, Clear. webmasters. They Sorry? kind of jump around. They flip-flop their uh, instructions about once every two years. Actually, in this case, it was all of the last six months around, you know, being separate indexes and then drawing from the same index but having separate filters and then, you know, all being the same thing. That yeah. was in the last six months, was it yeah. not? So the, I, was, I think the, the person yeah. in charge of media training at Google and, like, how do we message this must have been on vacation. <laughs> Which brings us to another point. Apparently, according to uh, the SEM Post, an uh, article by Jennifer Slag, uh, Matt, who was on a guest on Leo Laporte's This Week in Google yesterday, is still at Google. Well, he's still formally of Google, but he's not actually at Google, but he's at Google, but he's on leave still, if you follow me. So you're right. The person who uh, tends to phrase all this stuff or tended to phrase all this stuff and actually kind of gotten good at it is kind of on a very long 18-month vacation. Hey, you know what? Good for him. I think everybody in the community, you know, I don't think anybody on this on the line right now is going to be disagreeing. Everybody loved Matt. He did word things well. You know what? I do this every time. I got to put in, like, I feel sorry for John here. A, big shoes to fill. But B, I think more to point out at something with it, I think we sometimes forget, not people on right now, but for our listeners' sake, is Matt tended to create videos sitting down, basically having written a script, and that's why he was a Tyrannosaurus Rex, right? Like, yeah. he sat down fully prepped, I'm sure vetted by, like, eight other people at Google. John's on a hangout getting asked questions live. But, Dave, this is important. I mean, like, people build businesses. They build, like, online businesses. Maybe they're investing their kids' college fund in their online business or with their SEO, whatever. If Google is going to have spokespeople, and, and they should, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Those spokespeople better, damn well, better be able to communicate with a wide-ranging community of webmasters. We can't all think like engineers. 
A hundred percent. But I think those webmasters need to put things in context. Like if I'm watching television and I see something on the Discovery Channel, great expose on something, like pick any subject, doesn't matter what it is, I'm going to trust it. If I see something in the commercial following immediately after, I will know that it's an advertisement. So I think we need to put into context what is the medium we're getting this in when somebody's doing a live Q&A and answering on the fly as best they can. I need to put it into that proper context rather than this is a prearranged, structured, scheduled. But when their answers have the veracity of like a show like Ancient Aliens, um, (laughs) you know, I watched the Great. What are you talking about? Um, you know what, Jim? We're right heading into an election. Uh, south of the 49, they're also heading into an election. To me, this is a lot like we are judging one of our candidates, whoever they may be, when they stand up on a stage and read a script versus the debates. And you and I know, Jim, we had somebody trying to get out of our debates. We know how important these debates are, and we know the format that they're in, and that's why we trust them. In a weird way, I trust John's hangouts more than I trusted Matt's pre-configured speeches but you have to put it in the context. And I think a lot of people are sort of jumping on what John's saying too without actually going, oh, wait, maybe I should read all the follow-up stuff. Oh, wait, maybe I should read his Twitter account after as he's doing his clarifications on a point and judging him you know, based well, purely on what he's saying. And I think there's an important point to be made here that I think this was a definite decision by Google. I don't think John Mueller is trying to fill Matt Cutt's shoes. I think Google was probably getting uncomfortable having all of the communication coming from one centralized person because then there's less ambiguity or Matt Cut says is like the rule. I think that they're trying to have a more diverse set of spokespeople. And John Mueller is a very different guy than Matt Cutts. Like they both are great. I really don't think that they're trying to replace Matt Cutts with one person. Indeed. We see Gary Ellis, Miley Oily, John Mueller, and others speaking on behalf of Google, but, oh, I don't know. Maybe I just long for clarity. The clarity we have during elections, <laughs> you know. Okay, you know the cool thing about elections? The cool thing about elections is parties, and that's what we do when we go on break. You guys get to listen to commercials, we get to, like, party. So that's what we're going to do. Well, you guys listen to commercials, you listen to Web Culture on webmasterradio.fm. It is the 20th of August, 2015. Stick around. We're coming back. We're going to be talking everything you'd want to talk about mobile with Cindy Crum and Emily Grossman of Mobile Moxie. But before that, stay tuned for these messages. We'll be right back. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know they're SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PPC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Internet Marketing Inc. designs fully integrated digital programs that improve brand experiences and grow businesses through valuable data insights and strategy across all types of media. Paid, owned, and earned. Their digital experts nimbly adapt strategy by providing you a comprehensive view of your brand's online audience and program performance. If you are looking for a data-driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing Inc. today at 866-563-0620 or visit internetmarketinginc.com. Creating a website is not an easy task, and there are so many companies to choose from. How do I know which one is best? It's a big jump making your site mobile-friendly, generating sales, and answering questions with no struggles. If you want to come out on top, you need Frog on Top. At Frog on Top, we take the time to make your site generate money, not just look good. Our team of experts are WordPress savvy, and our customer service is leaps ahead. See why we say our websites are designed better by leaps and bounds by going to frogontop.com. 
Frog on Top, your one-stop solution for the web. FrogOnTop.com. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm. It is the 20th of August, 2015. Four more months to get your Christmas stuff together before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Just a warning. Luckily, things move a lot faster in the new universe that we live in. It used to be back in the day that you had to really start ramping up, like, say, around July to get to get placement ready for Christmas. Right about now is a good time to start thinking about it. So, you know, you got an extra two months reprieve, but that's over. It's almost September. Time to start thinking about Christmas. All you e-merchants out there, contact your local SEO firm. They'll be glad to talk to you, no doubt. <laughs> and one of the weird things about this year, this Christmas, and I think last Christmas as well, is a lot of shopping is going to be done while riding the subway, while riding the bus, while sitting on a park bench. If you live somewhere warm enough to sit on a park bench around Christmas, a lot of shopping is going to be done over mobile devices. Hey, Jim. Do yeah, you know man. anybody we could talk to about that that might have some tips and ideas for our listeners? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Someone should call Cindy. Whenever, whenever anyone says mobile, I think Cindy Crumb. And luckily... She's right here. Oh, Yay! That we have on the line Cindy Crum and Emily Grossman, both of Mobile Moxie in Denver, Colorado, but serving a completely mobile world. Cindy and Emily, welcome to Webcology. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. So, like, was I right saying a whole bunch of shopping is going to be done from the bus and the subway and people's mobile devices this year? Yeah, absolutely. People love shopping on their phones. They don't always buy on their phone, uh, but they do do the shopping, the preliminary stuff. And it's not even just happening on websites anymore. It's happening on apps like Pinterest. People are kind of figuring out lists and stuff like that. Yeah, Pinterest has viable pins now, so that's opened a lot of doors within that app ecosystem. Um, obviously, a lot of brands have their own apps that, that allow users to buy not only products, but also digital products. So uh, we're talking movies and digital content. So lots and lots of buying potential on mobile, and not necessarily just even outside of the home. People use mobile devices on their couch, too. Indeed. <laughs> now, Cindy, with the deepest love and respect, you've kind of been a running joke on our show. Whenever we talk about mobile, we mention your name, and that, oh, Cindy's got to be on that, or something to that effect. It's Good. wonderful having you here. I mean, you, you're known as the geek's geek on mobile, and you have a, an amazing, amazing client list. You've been... Dealing with mobile since, what, 2005, 2004? Yeah, definitely 2005, since before the iPhone was a thing, when we were like looking at, at mobile sites on Blackberries with the little rollerball thing. I miss my Blackberry so much. <laughs> that keyboard rocked. You uh, had that Blackberry way too long, Jim. <laughs> and, and for those of you who don't know, he had a flip phone until probably 20, what, 10? No, 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 no. 2008, <laughs> at least. Or so. And you know, all I had a flip phone before it was hip to have a flip phone, I'll tell you. Is that what the hipsters are doing now? They have flip phones again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's some old tech thing. It's cyberpunk. I don't know. It goes with the beard. We can even yeah. go back to brick phones for that. I wanted to lead with the question about... Uh, the Mobileopolis, Mobilegeddon, the, uh, the the day that Google's universe changed and everyone expected the search rankings to change radically and they didn't change immediately, but they did have, it did have a much bigger impact than people noticed. What did you think about the Google switch to the mobile universe? Well, so they did a pretty good job of messaging it ahead of time, which is something that we're not used to as SEOs. Um, and I think a lot of SEOs were kind of skeptical and but they 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 liked having something to write about. It wasn't Google that called it Mobile Geddon. It was the SEOs. Google called it mobile friendly, which I think was still a misnomer, but for a different reason. The main thing that changed with mobile friendly from a user perspective or or from the front end is that sites that didn't have the mobile friendly tag struggled to rank. From the back end, though, what happened really was that Google was kind of crawling mobile sites, but looking to crawl them for rendering. Um, and that's why the, the JavaScript and the CSS had to be unblocked. So if you think about 
Google bot is still one crawler, but it has kind of a mobile understanding of the world and a non-mobile understanding of the world. And the mobile understanding of the world is really about visual presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the desktop understanding is about the text and the keywords. So that's why they've been upping their game on the messaging about interstitials. They've been saying, we've got to be able to see your CSS and JavaScript to know what's actually showing up, not only in a responsive design, but also in things like a single page architecture where you know they don't even necessarily have to have unique URLs and the experience looks a lot like an app. Have you, are you familiar with these sites? Yeah. So, so, so that's super important for Google to be able to understand that because they're pushing towards that app kind of experience, even on the web. Um, and they're, notice they retired their Ajax crawling instructions at about like a week before uh, April 21st. So um, I think the, the, the retirement of those instructions, we're about to see um, a replacement of those instructions with a richer kind of understanding of how to crawl single-page architecture, how to crawl infinite scroll, how to crawl an SEO um, single-page apps, and, and all this complicated stuff. But they cannot do any of that without the JavaScript and the CSS. Okay. How much of an impact did, again, did uh, April 21st have? How widely did the search change over time? I think it wasn't a change that happened overnight. What they're doing now is they're like setting things in motion and they kind of have a trickle in approach. So it's not like here today gone tomorrow. But I think overall, over the course of the the couple weeks surrounding MobileGeddon, I think Dr. Pete said 70% of search queries uh, saw a change. But it definitely depends on what industry you're in and what keywords you're tracking. And because um, the other thing that happened that was a big deal that happened at about the same time was the introduction of the app packs. And what's important to understand about an app pack is if Google thinks that the keyword you're searching for is relevant for apps, as many as six apps can rank in an app pack. And that takes away six web rankings from the bottom. It pushes everything down and the last six results fall off and so you only have four of the original web results wow okay that was beautiful because you just gave me my segue so thank you (laughs) (laughs) i try Uh, that worked out great because i wanted to carry this over to an article that i think you and emily had done together but uh i'm going to direct this at emily just because you know sorry emily i'm going to force you to chat with us here Uh, (laughs) great 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 piece and and now you you've given me the segue cindy to start talking about apps so let's let's talk about that let's start at the basics i want to start talking about christmas i want to start talking about how important they might be for rankings but let's just start with the core basics which was a lot of what the the article that you'd published um last week was on which is how to get them indexed um and what developers need to be thinking about so let's you know Cole's notes here, or Cliff notes, depending on what side of the border you're on. What do we need to do to get our apps into the end, to get those deep links in there, to start getting those pesky organic links out? Sorry, and if I've got an app that I'd like to do as an organic SEO, I'm not a real big fan of this, but <laughs> we can debate that later. What do we do? What, what do we do to get in there? And then I want to start talking about where it will and where it won't work, how, uh, how Google would decide whether the query is going to work. But let's start with what do we do to help make sure our app can at least get in the running for those kind of links? Right. So the first thing to understand is that we're seeing apps and search results in primarily two different ways. So we have the app packs that Cindy talked about. And what you have to know about the app packs is that they're actually scraping the text off of a app store landing page. So like the app store that lives on iTunes.com or the Google Play store that lives on play.google.com have these landing pages where you can go visit a web page or, or a similar screen within their apps and download the app in question. And so the app packs are actually linking to those landing pages. So they're sort of website results that drive app downloads. That's the important thing to know there. And then the other type of of app results we're seeing in in Google right now are deep links. And these are different because what's happening with deep links is that it's a link that goes to a specific screen within an app. So sort of like a web page within a website format, we're not going to the home page, we're going to a very specific screen. So in in a Pinterest example, if I click on a link on my, my mobile search result that says Super Mario Halloween costumes, if that's a deep link, it's gonna take me into the Pinterest app into the board called Super Mario Halloween Costumes, not through the homepage. And this is a pretty big deal, but it's also a really big distinction from 
the app packs. So there's a different strategy for getting into the rankings for each. With the app packs, what we need to do is make sure that we're optimizing the content on those landing pages and the uh, deep links, when we want to make sure that our deep links are getting indexed, there's an entirely separate, different process that we do that was described at length in that article you're talking about where we're actually going and making um, sort of URLs for each app screen and then also linking those to corresponding web content on our website. Okay, so who, who does this apply to? You'd mentioned that there's specific queries, and you know, this makes sense. It's like knowledge graph, right? Like Google has to understand that this would be something that an app would, would serve the user well or better um, than an organic or, or a web page. And what kind of queries are we seeing this for now? And what are we going to see, you know, if you can predict, you know, sort of into the future? How is Google going to be making these decisions on what should have an app and, and what should not? Absolutely. Great question. So the kinds of queries that are triggering app packs right now have to do a lot with uh, sort of verb or tool-related keywords. So things like photo editor as opposed to just photo editing. Um, Or things like um, a to-do list might trigger an app pack just because it's highly correlated with a tool. Um, We're also seeing, obviously, lots of uh, correlation between keywords like games. Games and apps are are um, very closely linked in the SERPs these days. And these are all keywords that are pulling up the app packs. However, with deep links, the possibilities are, are actually much larger. And this is because the deep links can really target more of the long tail keyword like web pages have done historically. So we're seeing deep links show up for things like how to make the perfect cup of tea. And so it's really, we're seeing apps showing up in both contexts, but Google is really targeting if it's an app pack, uh, to the intent of the the particular search having to do with something like a verb or a tool type of keyword, and then targeting more of the deep links to a sort of typical web um, style keyword correlation. Okay, uh, we got a request for a proposal recently from a, a large institution um, in in New York State. They want both web development and app development for varying reasons. The app development is going to cost mid six figures, the web development, about sixty to $70,000 total. We send this back to their, uh, it's an institution, they have a board of directors, and their board of directors collectively freaked. I swear to goodness, from across Lake Ontario, I could feel the hair raise on the back of their neck. <laughs> Who needs an app? Who needs a regular website? Is HTML5 an effective workaround? I think there's a lot of confusion in the developer world about when it's appropriate to use what. What do you all think? This is a great question, and this is a question that keeps coming up more and more, um, particularly as apps are getting some of these ranking benefits. People want to know, does that mean I should have an app? And it's a little bit complicated because certainly in Apple's ecosystem, apps are incredibly important. They drive a lot of revenue for Apple. Apple really wants to encourage app usage. And they've started to do a lot of things like introducing deep links into their proprietary search, uh, Spotlight Search in iOS 9, to really encourage app usage, app creation, app downloads. Google's a little bit different. Google is definitely more open to the website of the world. They understand the need to uh, index and rank app content. But they definitely still think that there's a huge value in apps. And Currently, one of, one of the unfortunate predicaments that we're in with, with Google's app indexing is that they're requiring a one-to-one parity between website and app content. And they've said that this will not be the case forever. But for the moment, it makes a lot of app developers feel like they do need a website. And it makes a lot of web developers feel like they need an app in order to get those uh, sort of ranking boosts that they're hoping for in the SERPs. But ideally, and Google has said this over and over again, In an ideal world, you should be making this app versus web decision from a business perspective. Do you need an app should be a question of, does what I offer users need to be in an app experience? Does it take advantage of things that a website can't do? And if the answer is no, and it's a significant financial investment and you have to make that choice, it might not be the best road to go down. You might do better, actually, with a website. Um, However, sometimes the decision is the opposite. Sometimes you can't do things on your website that you can do within an app. And if you have to make that financial decision, sometimes companies do go with an app-only approach. Right now, that's a little bit harder if you want to get indexed in Google's, um, if you want to get your your deep app screens indexed. But it is definitely something that Google is aware of and is trying to accommodate. 
So we don't like to think of it as, as sort of a, a marketing decision, but more of a business decision. Well, and, and I'm going to jump in here because I think it's important to understand Google envisions a world where users don't know the difference between app and web. And at Google I.O. this year, they, uh, they were pushing a new platform that allows web developers to develop the single page app HTML5 kind of experience that looks and feels and behaves like a native app, but mm-hmm. happens on the web. Um, and I think that's where they would prefer things go because that's easier for them to crawl and that, that gives people the, be- the benefits of both worlds where they have a smooth, seamless experience, faster load time, stuff like that. And it's cross-platform. You don't have to build web, iOS, and Android. You can just build this one cross-platform, lovely uh, web app uh, that works everywhere. And that's to Google's advantage because it takes back the market that they've lost to Apple and it allows them to continue to monetize the web in the way that they have for years versus dealing with app monetization, which um, is harder, which I would, I would venture to say they're probably making less money on. I venture to say you're probably right. And <laughs> Cindy, everything you just said, uh, both actually Cindy and Emily, everything you both just said leads to one great question. But I can't ask it for a couple of minutes because we have to take a break here on Webcology on Webmaster Radio. <laughs> That's the best tease ever. Uh, here on Webmaster Radio. Um, friends, we have Cindy Crum and Emily Grossman from Mobile Moxie. We're going to be spending a little bit more time talking about mobile. I'm going to ask that one great question. But we all have to wait for a couple of minutes because we've got to take a break here on WebCology. Stay tuned. Back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. WebCology. We'll be back after this short break. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoth also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's Maps and localized results, providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world. The Hoth offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link Great building or citation today. building Need credits free by going to thehoth.com slash radio. T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. It is the 20th of August, 2015. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and we're joined by Cindy Crum and Emily Grossman from Mobile Moxie. 
And Cindy and Emily, I got to throw that great question I wanted to ask just before we had to go to break, except I should have wrote it down. Damn. <laughs> Actually, no, I, remember, I remember what it was. <laughs> um, given, Emily, you said earlier, you know, that, that, that Google needs the one-to-one ratio between you know, web content and app content, but they're working on it. And Cindy, you had said that Google is, you know, really looking deeply into how to make um, spidering apps work with its search tool, but they would prefer the HTML5 route, which gives them a lot more control. That just, you know, just made me wonder, are apps possibly going to take over from websites? Are they going to be, you know, given the... the, the um, choice of using mobile devices over desktops, which can only increase in time, will apps be the way that design goes, or will we stick with a HTML-esque environment? Uh, it's a question that requires a lot of speculation. I think things could go a number of ways. I think in the short term, the HTML, HTML5 environment may be where it's at. And I personally believe that may evolve into um, more of a browser plug-in mobile environment where uh, because that allows people to be cross-platform. So, like, let's say you download the Chrome browser. They already have a Chrome store. Um, it makes sense to me that um, the apps that you build for mobile sites could be made available um, or the, the apps that you build could be made available to any mobile phone as kind of a plug-in through a browser. That's my vision of the future, but not necessarily the near-term future, maybe a, a bit further out. What do you think, Emily? Yeah, I think that's definitely one possible solution. You know, the real struggle here is that from a user perspective, they probably won't even really notice a lot of these differences that, that we're seeing as marketers um, between apps and web. Um, I think that you know, the most common example is when you ask someone if they use the internet or not, and they say no, and then you ask them if they use Facebook or not, and they say yes. Um, <laughs> users don't really understand a lot of the distinctions that, that we do about how things work. And one of the great things about apps, I think, is that um, it really does blur that line even further. So a lot of um, app users don't necessarily understand that, that what they're doing is sort of uh, akin um, to, to browsing a website, potentially. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. Right now, obviously, Apple's invested in, in the, the sort of app battle side of this, and, and Google seems to be on the other side. So it may come down to a system of what works on what platform, who's able to make a bigger case, or who's able to bridge the gap better. Um, and, you know, sort of looking at that, you know, Google has a, a much bigger battle to fight there um, in that what they're trying to do is uh, – accumulate and organize data from platforms that they don't have full access to, so platforms like iOS. So they've got to solve a lot of problems to really make all of that data uh, universally accessible. Um, but that, that seems to be their, their higher calling, and they seem to be you know, the one who's really going to fight for that. Um, on Apple's side, they haven't really seemed to make any um, investments in trying to uh, really understand the web in the same way that Google does, and they're really focusing their ecosystem on apps. So um, it might just come down to who's, who's able to build out their platform a little bit faster, a little bit more efficiently, and a little bit harder. And, um, you know, when we look at something like search, obviously, Google's got a bit of an upper hand right now. Okay, now just for the sake of clarity, uh, leading into the next question, there's a, there's a difference between a, a mobile app and a mobile web page or a mobile-friendly web page, yeah? Yes. Okay, so my favorite master of clarity in the whole wide world, uh, John Mueller, <laughs> in a hangout last Friday, according to a report that Dave just shared from Search Engine Watch, said, you know, you don't really need a desktop site anymore. It can all be mobile. Really? Well, so, so John did clarify that afterward <laughs> and said that that was not their ideal solution. But that given only a mobile website, they would prefer to index that than nothing at all. So you can, you can have a mobile-only website, and they will still um, surface that in desktop results. But they would prefer that you have a better user experience than that. Or okay. responsive. Whatever. Okay. Yes. 
but uh, a responsive design website is a standard desktop website that snaps into uh, whatever size screen. Yeah, it depends on who you ask. Most developers now would say that a responsive uh, design website is a standard mobile website that will expand to accommodate larger monitors. Uh, It depends on... Depends on which side of the mobile divide you sit on, eh? <laughs> well, no, because mobile mobile first design is a thing, man. And okay. actually, we've seen <laughs> mobile first design come into a lot of Google's language recently too, and and a lot of their language, especially around and after the the four twenty one update, puts their mobile experience first in, in terms of what they're prioritizing. So. Um, we're seeing things like them them saying, you know, how to get your website into or how to get your app into our index, Android or web, you know. And so they're they're really putting the the mobile side first, which is very interesting as well. So it's philosophical, but also from a, a web development perspective, we're looking at things like designing for the mobile screen first and then expanding to desktop. Now we had been talking a bit earlier about does your your sort of engagement with your users actually work for expansion into an app, right, before taking on these costs. That was wisely you'd pointed that out. you got to make your business case and then pointed out the Google's pointed that out. Does it fit your business? Of course, that, that all changes when we start to see things like deep linking to mobile apps showing up in organic results that we would like and that that's now reducing the, the space available. So what do you do, and you may have to be predicting into the future here, if I don't actually have a business case for an app, or at least I didn't, until six deep links started showing up, and now the organic <laughs> results are being monopolized by them, so now I have to reverse engineer a case. Like, Do we see that coming in the world? I assume we do. Um, and and how, what, do you, what do you do then? What if you had a standard website, um, and you know that a bunch of the results are being hogged up by, by apps? Um, you know, how, do you, how do you address that? That's a great question. And to be to be fair, in in the deep link results that we're seeing, because right now there there has to be web parity, we're also often seeing the option to go to the corresponding web content there. So, uh, in all likelihood, the deep link is helping that website rank, but it is not displacing it. Now, wait, just to clarify. <laughs> In the in Google's deep link results, in some cases, because they they present them a couple different ways, but in many cases you have an app logo that you can click on that will take you to the deep link. But then they also say or visit it on whatever dot com. So depending on where you click on that little tiny screen, you are making a decision um, right there. And so that's that's the point she's making is is users can decide. Yep. With the deep links, with with the app package, as I think what you were actually talking to uh, to about with the six six deep links appearing in your search result, where you used to have a website and rank really really well, and now those the six um, app pack links are showing up and displacing your website. That's that's a really interesting use case, and you know we think that Google's doing a pretty good job right now of determining whether or not the query would be better served by an app. Um, and, and so the idea, of course, hopefully for you and your business would be that if you are seeing a lot of uh, app uh, results there, app pack results, that that might be an indication to you that users are looking for app experiences for that type of service. Um, so that might help you decide that actually an app would be beneficial for my business. Um, that's not the entire story, but, but that's sort of what Google's doing. If it were a query that did not necessarily need to be answered with an app, then Ideally, or what Google's working toward, would be giving you a set of results that did not necessarily have app content. So um, I think looking, in, looking into the future, we'd hope that, that Google would get more precise about this and that for some of those, those queries that are uh, better answered by websites than apps, that you would still survive in that ecosystem with a website. I'm going to jump in here, too, because I think it's important to, to make this point. If you're talking about a client who says, oh, now the app pack is tanking up the whole mobile search result. We need to uh, throw a bunch of money at an app. They, If that's the decision they make, they should, A, not forget what's happening on the website because desktop is still there and the app packs aren't taking over there. Uh, but, B, they should be prepared to really, really compete because apps where there are uh, there's six 
uh, showing up in the app pack usually mean that it is a super competitive environment. So you can't phone it in when you're building your app and just be like, ah, we're going to do a, a rickety knockoff of our website as an app. And it might be crashy, but we don't care. That's not going to cut it to get you in an app pack. Uh, for the really competitive keywords anyway. So it's, it's got to be a really intentional decision and you've got to go submit your app with the intention of promoting it at launch, doing the App Store SEO stuff, optimizing title tags, keywords, descriptions, blah, blah, blah. You cannot phone it in. Okay. Um, we have to leave it there. There's like music. Uh, I, uh, Cindy, Emily, um, I think... You know, our listeners might actually have a lot. I know there's a lot more questions we had. We only scratched the surface. Where might uh, listeners contact or see either of you next? Well, we'll be at SMX East, so you can come and see us speak there. You can contact us on Twitter um, at, uh, at Suzix and at Gutaste or at Mobile Moxie. You can also find us on Facebook uh, at Mobile Moxie as well. Yeah. Sydney Crum, Emily Grossman, thank you so much for joining us on Webcology on Webmaster Radio today. Friends, you've been listening to Webcology on Webmaster Radio. It is the 20th of August, 2015. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Stick around Webmaster Radio. There's a lot of great content coming up after the news. We'll talk to you next week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's... you to sample past episodes of this program as well as our complete library of programs on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of webmasterradio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. This is the USA Radio Business Report. You have arrived at the destination for education and entertainment. This news update on webmasterradio.fm is brought to you by the webmasterradio.fm mobile app. Listen to our 24-hour live stream from anywhere or download any webmasterradio.fm program on demand anytime. Download the